You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to the Win Win Podcast. This is Ben Wolf, as always, your host. And we're going to be learning from our guest today, finding use cases for AI. And this is the second in our series on this AI topic, which is something that is uh, baffling to me. I'm not very much of a technology person, so I'm really, really grateful for these experts on the subject, decades of experience to come on and educate me and by extension, all of you in this audience. Uh, and I, I want to get into introducing him right away, which is uh, our guest today is the founder and CEO of Innovation Vista. Uh, that's innovationvista.com. Uh, which is an IT consulting and fractional CIO firm, chief information officer firm. Uh, it comes with decades of CIO experience before that. And with that, I give you Jeff Roberts. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Ben. Glad to be here. Well, my pleasure. It's an honor to have you on, and I appreciate you making the time for this conversation. I, I want to ask you what I ask everybody uh, you know, who, who comes on this show, which is if you could please share a quick two-minute background and sort of history to give us, uh, you know, give the audience here a, a little context for yourself, where you came from, and how you got to be talking about what we're talking about today. Right. Now, happy to do it, and thanks again for the invitation. Um, so I have known throughout my entire life, uh, from my teenage years, that I wanted to be in IT. Uh, studied that in, in school and uh, began my career as a software developer, data modeler, then was given an opportunity as a project manager, and then eventually uh, entered IT leadership. Um, basically progressed my career uh, fairly quickly up to the point where I was chief information officer. I had that opportunity at five different mid-sized companies. And when the last of those companies was acquired by a, a large global competitor, um, I decided rather than try to find CIO chair number six, that I would instead start Innovation Vista and try to bring some of the success that I've had as a CIO to small and mid-sized companies uh, that maybe can't afford a full-time CIO, but need the same level of innovation and, and really have a lot of the same opportunities as the larger companies. All right. Awesome. Now, I know like, you know, when we're talking about finding use cases for AI, I, I know my experience and, and, and probably many others and people trying to run small or mid-sized businesses, not like big on enterprise size organizations, uh, just often so underwater time-wise in terms of uh, just keeping the day-to-day -day running and, you know, working on probably some big strategic projects too and putting out fires, which is a constant, uh, a constant effort that people need to be involved in. And so even though they hear all this buzz and talk and, and all this furor uh, about the topic of AI and transformation and what it's going to do is like, it seems overwhelming to like look into it and figure out, is it for me? Is it not for me? How do I use it? Overwhelming. Um, I guess the first question I have is like, how, how and why also uh, can people who are very busy running a business, right? Aren't they aren't professional researchers, right? Uh, who are busy running a business, how and why would they make time to, to, to learn about AI or, or think about how they could use it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and, and really, AI is 
come as a bit of a surprise, I think, to a lot of business leaders. Um, the buzz has been out there. Techies, of course, have been following this, but it's only recently this has hit the front page of the Wall Street Journal, and it is uh, very much a topic of the day. So business leaders are, are thinking that. I, I guess my answer to your question is uh, the same reason they would look at any technology or any innovation, which is ROI. Um, we, we have a very business-driven approach to, to how we go about these things. Uh, companies do ask us for help. Often it's because of either a, a lack of bandwidth. Like you mentioned, business leaders are the very, the, the, the most busiest of anyone in any company. And uh, they just don't have the time. Or they feel like they're lacking the expertise. And uh, they want someone to bring in the art of the possible. But, but even without a consultant like Innovation Vista would provide, I think business leaders can go through, and I'm happy to share, you know, sort of our model for how we triage opportunities, if you will. Yeah, I definitely um, want to get to think that. about. It. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the how and why is is really, you know, they need to pay attention for for opportunity as well as uh, the fact that their competitors, many of them, are doing it. And some of these capabilities uh, we can talk about actually are more than just efficiency. They actually create brand new capabilities. And I think companies are at risk if their competitors are doing that and they're not, uh, because some of those things really can be uh, disruptive technologies. That's kind of a, right. an overused word, but, but it's true. In some segments, we've seen this where uh, all of a sudden a new IT capability leads to pricing power like they've never seen before and they just grab market share uh and and pull customers away from you know their their current partners uh, well thinking about on that, on that danger side that you're talking about now can, can you give a concrete example of that where uh where market share from a business owner is going to feel like it's going to be taken away if other people are using it and like, what's going to happen? Like, what does that look like? Paint me a concrete picture. Yeah. Example. Yeah. yeah. We, so we call it playing defense. Um, so uh, one example I could share is a, a software as a service client that we have worked with and they reached out to us and said, uh, help. We are losing our customers and it's because our, and, and this is a very narrow market with like two main players basically. So the, mm -hmm. uh, the market share was cut in half. Uh, I think they shared 90% total of the target mm. addressable market or something. Wow. Uh, but the competitor had created an AI wizard that really laid on top of the software and made it so much quicker for people to learn and navigate the system mm -hmm. uh, who were brand new to it, which was a fantastic help for the clients because uh, that compared to having to go through about four hours of training mm. prior to that. AI wizard comes online, they're able to tell their clients, look, you don't need any training at all. It actually will guide you and it uses your terminology for your company. And so whatever you're asking these new hires to do, the software will basically tell them how to do it. Uh, incredibly, um, really. So it's elegant. like a tutorial or a knowledge base exactly. facilitated by AI instead exactly. of having to like a table of contents or something that's just right. static. Exactly. 
and and with so now the they just their audit, sales started cratering. Yeah, they they were losing market share to this, um, and really the, the their competitor did a great job, honestly. So uh, we very quickly saw what was happening, um, came in and, and did an evaluation of how can we create something. Uh, a, let's match what they're doing, and B, let's give our salespeople something that's also compelling that they can say our product does that the competitors doesn't and give them something to think about a to, to save the customers that we already have right. so they begin to have these conversations even before we launched um and that was delicate right it created a lot of pressure around the deadline but we understood we had to do that because every day they were losing more customers right um, and so you know they built this hype uh, we created this model. They created their own version of the wizard and actually improved on the ideas of the competitor. And um, so our, our strategy really, I, I like to feel like saved that company. Right. Uh, wow. So, yeah, that's a, that's an example. You know, playing defense is uh, sometimes it's necessary. But, of course, we say to clients, don't wait until then. Uh, please just make the assumption now that if you're in an established market and you have respect for your competitors, just assume they're probably doing this. They're looking at it. And if they are, you should be as well. So let's let's go to that playing offense side. I, again, before we get into the methodology or the triage, like when you get into the playing offense side, uh, paint me a picture, give me an example of that, of where, of where somebody, where you've seen a smaller mid-sized business being proactive, or seeking out new or creating new opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And this is really, this this is the right way to do it, if you will. Um, so uh, we had a client that, that reached out to us, uh, a kind of a uh, financial services, uh, direct to customer service company. And they, they were interested in the possibilities of AI, right? Very early, exploratory, uh, we feel like there's possibility there, but we don't know what it is. Can you come in and help us sort of navigate that? And uh, so that's that's where we really deployed our uh, our playbook to go through this analysis. Uh, and again, happy to share this. Um, so it, it, at a basic level, it's really it's just business. Uh, at, at the highest level, it just makes sense the same way that any other. Uh, business prioritization does. You look at, at what's possible, what would help you, and then you look at the ROI to prioritize those things, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I don't want people to, to feel like this is some brand new concept of, of how do you choose what to do with AI. The difference is understanding the art of the possible, that first question, um, understanding where human intelligence is still needed versus where AI's results can suffice, or, or even better than that, they can create new capabilities. That is, it, there is some expertise needed there, uh, clearly, because the, the technology is advancing. Uh, you need someone in the room in those discussions that can speak to limitations, risk points, um, possibilities, you know, someone who's been around the block to say, yes, with this data, with this kind of uh, uh, pattern matching or judgment call being needed, 
I would trust an AI model to get within 80 or 90 percent of, of what a human could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, we get to 100 percent. And uh, in, in those models, you have these uh, tasks that can be fully automated with AI. Um, low complexity sorts of things that people are doing today um, where you just, you, you fully automate it, right? So uh, what are, some, what are some examples? What are some yeah, examples? It, that first category. So think about chatbots for, for customer service. That, that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of an established technology. Um, you know, that first contact with the customer is, uh, you know, Chatbots are very capable at this point of handling that, and, and they've advanced quite a bit even to, to go beyond the first level into, you know, self-service and solving some of customers' problems and requests. Um, so, you know, creating that that initial layer saves all of that staff, and the mm-hmm. staff can become the escalation point. Mm-hmm. Um, this person needs to talk to someone. They've got something that's outside of our model. This person is uh, very upset, uh, so you've got you've got uh, emotion detection now in a lot of these, where if mm. someone is uh, irate or um, you know very emotional and upset, that it can escalate to a person and say, clearly we we need we need some empathy, right? Um, so that's so much more efficient than having human beings have to answer each and every single call. Right. Um, you know, the, the other thing we, we uh, help this company with is um, on the self-service front, you know, a lot of companies have this uh, voice response unit. Those have been around for decades. Um, and they started out with, you know, press one for this option, press two for that. Now they've begun, you know, understanding human language and they'll say, how can we help you? And then it, it answers what's happened recently with AI is the next level of those systems mm-hmm. where now uh, depending on what they ask and depending on what the system knows about that customer it can actually predict what they may be calling about before mm-hmm. they act uh, so um, you know th- this finance company for example uh, if, if someone calls in a few days after they have made a payment um, what's the likelihood that they're calling just to confirm that you received the payment, uh, that they're not going to get a late fee or, or whatever. And um, I don't do that myself, but I know there are customers out there that uh-huh. are very diligent and they just want to confirm. <laughs> so if we've recently received a payment that we think maybe the customer is just checking that, why not have the system just proactively right. thank the customer? We received your payment. You're good to go. Thanks so much. Uh, how can I help you? Uh, right. And and you know these kinds of enhancements. And, and obviously there are more there are more complicated things. But if you have uh, if you're a mortgage company and you have an escrow analysis that's just happened, right? Like you know we've just completed your escrow analysis. And we understand you know you may have questions about that. Um, you know please tell us if that's why you're calling. Right. And it's it's just it feels like the system understands the customer mm. so much better. So, um, so we, we go through these, these tasks and we really look at what is possible, uh, where AI can suffice, 
or better. And then where human intelligence is needed, we put those to the side and we say, look, it, it, we're not going to be able to automate that. Mm -hmm. But but there are some where, you know, AI can suffice. There are also cases where AI can't really do the job. So let's say that it can get 50% of the way there, not 80 or 90%. Mm -hmm. um, that's not worthless in a lot of cases. Depending on the business process, that 50% can be a jump that is significant efficiency for the company. Right. So, so we, we put those on our list as sort of the, the hybrid where AI can create a little bit of, uh, of an arbitrage. It can either change the skill level of the person who you need to have on staff to do the rest of the function. Or it can change the number of people that you have to have on staff to complete right. the function. Uh, and either one of those has uh, economic value for the client. So we, we create that list. That's step one. Okay. Here are possible things where AI could help. Then we go to, like I mentioned, kind of the, the traditional business analysis. What's the ROI? Um, if you have a potential AI project, but on staff, you have one person who, who performs that function, you know, two days a month, um, you know, the, the likelihood of there being enough juice for the suite is right. low. Right. Uh, on the other hand, if you have rows and rows of cubicles of people who are performing this function day after day, all day long, right? I mean, it's, some of that is, is obvious. Um, but there, there is kind of a break point there. So we actually do the work to measure what would the new organization look like? What would the new cost model be? Um, what's the cost of creating the AI capability that enables that? And is that a better place to be versus where we are today? Right. Uh, again, just the, kind of the envisioning and the art of the possible. And, you know, we end up with this spectrum, as you would imagine, of ROI, where there are some projects that, you know, it may help us out a little bit, but it's certainly not a home run. And then there are other projects that would definitely be at least a base hit and would help and drive, you know, would, would uh, deliver a return on the investment pretty quickly. And then there, there hopefully are projects that are that home run. Um, depending on the complexity and the risk factors on those projects, we often try to target those for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, and uh, even if we fall a little short, um, the, the benefits are there. Um, even if we, in our analysis, have missed certain factors, you know, it, it, we're able to deliver that value. And, um, you know, it, it Obviously, the, the landscape of AI right now, there are still skeptics in the leadership teams of a lot of companies. There are a lot of people that believe uh, a lot of this is just hype or a lot of this is just it's fine for Amazon and Google or Netflix. But, you know, we're, it's not going to work for our company. Right. And so when, when we find those those home run cases, it really can help. And we can say to those skeptics, look, here's, here's what we're going to spend. Uh, let's take the worst case scenario. Let's say you're right and it won't be fully automatable, but 
maybe we could give your staff, you know, the first draft of whatever work product that, that we're talking about. Wouldn't that be enough economic value to justify this project? And by the way, we think we can go all the way where the model will actually solve this problem and you don't need people on staff doing this anymore. You can free them up for other things that, that do require human intelligence. Uh, and, and so it, it, it tends to just help on the political front in the uh, building that coalition of support internally right. to fund a project, especially the very first project on AI and, and a lot of organizations. Um, there can be those challenges and uh, and so, you know, dealing with the skeptics is, is certainly part of this. Right. Um, so think, that, that's yeah. kind of our, our process. So we end up with this list and we draw a line at a certain point and say, are, you know, are we doing the top one? Are we doing the top one or two? Um, what are we aiming for? And uh, and then we begin the, the difficult task of designing, building, testing it. Uh, working through the data needs this is often the, the biggest challenge in AI projects. People often don't understand when we do AI, we really do about three quarters of the work in data. And then the last 25% is actually building the model. Mm. And, and the reason for that is uh, it's so important to avoid false positives and, and false negatives. Uh, the quality of the data, the completeness, the... Um, can, can you talk more about this? What do you mean by the the data being 75% of the work? Like, yeah, maybe maybe um, an example or something. Just like, what do you what do you mean by that? What does that look yeah, like? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, so let's say that, um, you know, we're, we're building a chatbot uh, model for this uh, finance company. Take that example. Um, we've got some data in the system already about, you know, payment patterns, the status of their account. We, we know some things about this customer, right? Um, other things are posted in customer comments in the system. Uh, a little bit harder for a model to get, to get a hold of, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, this customer, and if it's human being is reading these comments, it's fine. They can look at it just like they look at the indicative data. But for a model to get hold of it, it, it needs to be in an accessible, calculatable form. So uh, an example in that case is some pre-processing uh, in a natural language model to take out the important information from customer comments and turn it into indicative data about the customer so that then when the customer hits the website and asks a question, the chatbot has the context of everything we know about the customer and can answer the question uh, with with that. That's interesting. So it's like taking like freeform text and turning it what like into something like a database or like certain drop downs and just somehow right. translating. It's sort of using an AI to translate between the two and and turn. Exactly. Huh. So yes, that's one example of of, of getting the data that you need. Another right. example is- But you needed AI for that too. I mean, it's not a completely separate migration yeah. that, that has to be done before is... you can even use AI. It's actually using AI to create That's right. and fix the data That's right. as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, they're not all that way. There are other examples where in order to get the data at a usable point, uh, what you're really doing is data quality and cleansing, right? So uh, you've got this information, but there are lots of things that are blank. There are lots of things that uh, someone has put in 99999 in the numerical field because they don't know the answer, right? It, it, this is mm. very common. Um, and, you know, in, in the traditional use of systems where you're tracking workflow and you're, you're gathering enough data to do the books and records, those things are not a problem. But when you begin to use data in, in AI models, you need, or at least the model would benefit from, having all of that data completed. So data quality initiatives often go hand in hand with AI initiatives. Really so that could be a big project among tons of people. Exactly. Like looking through their emails and like and, and exactly. filling in missing information. Yeah. Or incorrect. Yeah. So um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a little bit tedious. It's a little bit pedestrian to, you know, we're filling in blanks and we're hiring a team of temps to go through paper files and you know, no one ever keyed this in from the form. It's right there. It's available. And people are, are, are looking at the, uh, the paper or the images and uh, using it today. But again, in order to get the system access to that for the model, we need it to be extracted in, in a usable form. So that's another common theme. The third common theme that, that we see a lot is needing to acquire outside data. So there are, there, really, there has become an entire ecosystem of data um, on everything you can imagine, uh, you know, customer uh, behavior patterns, population, the government actually puts out quite a bit of information uh, and more and more every year in, in ways that are, are fairly interesting and usable uh, mm. from the census and from uh, property tax information, things like that. That's all public. Um, and then you have private companies that have made a business model out of measuring and selling data. Um, you know, pedestrian traffic patterns, car traffic patterns, um, uh, real estate. We do quite a bit in the real estate sector, and there's all these data sets around real estate and uh, skylines and, you know, um, just data in every form that you can imagine. And often those data sets are needed in order to really paint the picture. And, and mm -hmm. it's the difference in some of these cases between a model being um, possible, but probably uh, misleading in a lot of cases to a model being possible and accurate 80 or 90% of the time. And mm -hmm. so, uh, so it, that, that shocks a lot of business leaders that you know right, that that's such a big approve this AI project and we're spending all this time on data, data, data and cleansing and data quality and filling in blanks. And like, right. all, Where's our AI. results? We're doing AI, right? Um, and and you know we so we explain to them the journey and we absolutely are. Uh, but what you don't want is to create an AI model that says Joe likes red when Joe really likes pink and orange, uh, right? It, it, it's important to have these nuances and again, to avoid the false positives and false negatives in these models where you can trust them. And right. so data is, uh, is very much prerequisite and upstream of successful AI. 
is super, super interesting. And uh, again, people can learn about uh, about about Jeff and his work or possibly get help in AI from innovationvista.com. But let me ask you one last question. If you could share one last story, example of, again, like a smaller mid-sized business uh, where, where you've seen, you know, where you've seen a use case for some kind of home run in that category of, uh, you know, uh, of, of either avoiding having the bottom fall out from somebody because of competition or playing defense, as you called it, or, you know, either, or from the, uh, you know, proactive home run side. Yeah. So let me, let me take, uh, another, uh, another industry example. So, um, we have a, uh, a client that's a, a financial brokerage and I, I don't want to share too much because we, we do commit to uh, confidentiality with our clients. No problem. Um, so Feel free I'll, to change I'll, identifying information, of yeah, course. Yeah, let me, let me be abstract here. But uh, they, they had a key business process that involved very highly paid staff, <laughs> um, analysts, researchers, if you will, that were expert in, in this particular information about their customers and their markets. And... Um, a big part of their process, uh, over half of their time, was spent in analyzing this information and then publishing quarterly reports that had very deep analysis. Uh, about highly graph. paid individuals? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, they, that, that was their job about half of their time is to put these reports together that um, this is um, an analysis of their market, their particular segment, um, and there, there are dozens of these people that are, you know, six-figure professionals that are, are spending, you know, you can imagine half their time, you're talking about dozens of employee years um, invested in, in this process. And really what it amounted to is looking at updated data sets around their customer behavior, market behavior, uh, pricing information. All, all of these various data sets and connecting the dots. Uh, so, you know, we, this is a, a great example of overcoming some skepticism where, you know, there, there was some, some doubt that can a machine really do this? And uh, so our analysis focused on, you know, what will suffice? And we began with the idea that, you know, it, it, it really is uh, useful even if we can get to that 50% level, right? So if we can have a first draft of these reports that the model goes through the data, uh, we know the data that they look at in order to do these reports and they follow the same format each and every quarter. So would it be helpful if, if the model could come to a point where it creates the first draft? Um, and how does it do that? Does it look at like past previous data sets and the updated version and what the output was and, and look at their relationship between them to, to see what the humans did? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So uh, a big part of AI is, is training data sets, right? So you give the model this, um, the, the, this set of previous results. Here's the data from first quarter of 2023. Here's the report that came out about it. Here's the, here's the quarter before, here's the quarter after. Um, and with enough volume of those examples, 
the model can begin to understand, mm. okay, when I see data patterns like this in the data set, it causes the analyst to write this kind of text right. around that trend. Right. And a lot of it is time series. And, you know, you can imagine sort of understanding markets and, you know, customer behavior and things like that. It's all sorts of variabilities in there. So fairly complicated model for sure. But with enough training data, we got it to a point where, you know, here is a first draft of this report based on the same data uh, with some cleansing work and completeness to make sure that the kind of things that human beings know to fill in the gaps, that the, the model isn't as good at that. So mm -hmm. we have to fill in the gaps for it. And, and we got it to that point. Then the next step to say, look, beyond just 50%, can we get this to 80 or 90%? Uh, where literally for, for some markets and some use cases, we can, we can put this on autopilot and say, let's free up that analyst, right? And, and it's, it's often people are scared, I think, out there that AI is going to take jobs away. Um, that was not the case in this example. This hmm. example, they were freeing these analysts up to do more value-add things than just turning the crank on this quarterly report that is the same format each and every time. Right. Uh, so well, what were they that, what were they able to do by freeing up that 40-50% of those analysts' time? Yeah, great, great question. So there were all kinds of pent-up demands uh, across this organization because these experts were able to help, you know, individual customers, um, individual deal teams to understand particular situations and particular transactions. And, you know, these are not here. repeating things, but they, the, but that need was oh, not yeah. being met until then. Right. Right. Yeah. These, these are bespoke needs like each right. and every time, but, but it, it's so valuable. Um, and, and, you know, these transactions are, are, you know, seven figure, eight figure kind of size. And so, you know, the ability to, to go from 50% to 100% of these experts literally doubled their bandwidth without adding a single person to the organization. Wow. And that, in turn, drove additional revenue, market share, you know, it, it just all of this strategic benefit started wow. flowing. And, you know, the, report, the, the reports are probably not as good. But they are 80 to 90 percent of what they were, and the value from the other side of that is easily worth the squeeze, as we say. Right. So um, that that's a home run ball. That that is, you know, we have all kinds of. Um, there, there's our website has business impact from a lot of our projects uh, under. Um, it's it's uh, on our main menu on the site to look at our clients' results. Mm -hmm. And we see, and of course, we we uh, we like the very best examples on that page. But the ROI on these projects can reach 600, 700 uh, percent. I mean, wow. regularly, regularly we see that. And and that was an example where, you know, you spend a million dollars making this model, and you save six million dollars each and every year. Right. Uh, you know, give me more like that. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it, the, the home runs are out there. Uh, not every project is like that. And, you know, it depends on when we look at what a company is doing and what its key processes are and what the scale of those things is. That's a big part of it. But they're absolutely.
absolutely out there. And, you know, I encourage companies to just think about this. Um, even if they don't think they've got the home run, if they have base hits, you know, base hits are valuable right now. And the other thing that's key is when your competitors are doing this, what's possible today is a certain set of things, right? And, and so it may only be a base hit, but if you ignore it, because well, we don't have that home run project that AI would really be a great fit for. If your competitors are taking their base hits, they're also building muscle. They're also, you know, creating internal capability and vendor partnerships, et cetera. And we've seen how fast these technologies mm. are advancing. Right. So and, if, if 18 so, months down the road, you realize, hey, we need to start doing that. And now there is a, bit, a home run available. You haven't even done the base hits yet and your competitors have. Exactly. Exactly. So you can imagine how quick a, a, you know, a competitor can turn on the dime when something becomes possible right. versus if you're in the starting block still and you've done nothing, you, you are going to miss that opportunity. Right. And you know, sometimes you can play defense and, and you know, get that market share back or, or at least stop the bleeding. Sometimes you can't, and right. you know we have seen. I mean, you, you just look through the examples of, of failed companies. You know, uh, I mean, everyone knows the large ones. Everyone talks about the the, the blockbusters and the Borders books, and you know, these, BlackBerry these, and oh you know, yeah, BlackBerry. All, all of these examples, Kodak. You know, um, but there are for every one of those huge famous companies. There also are hundreds of companies that either went out of business because their competitors created something that they just couldn't compete with, or what we see more often, they are acquired and it creates an M&A event where the, the, the seller really has to sell or they're going to go out of business. Right. So, you know, the sale price in that situation is right. not going to be great. The only asset they have is their Rolodex of contacts and customers, really. And the only reason that they're being acquired is because it's quicker to onboard versus having to go compete each and every one of those. Right. Um, and that's a horrible way to have to sell your business and, and close it down. Right. Um, so this is happening out there far more than just, you know, the, the famous uh, right. Blockbuster and Kodak kinds of examples. Right. Well, look, I really appreciate it. Again, innovationvista.com if people want to learn more or see those case studies uh, for some examples on how AI has been used uh, by some other businesses. Really appreciate the teaching, the stories, the examples. Definitely opened my eyes up to what's possible. And I think the more of these stories I hear, hopefully it, you know, I'll, I'll be thinking for myself, for my own business, for my clients' businesses, what uh, you know, wh where these things can possibly be applied. So truly appreciate you making the time and everything you've taught today and how you triage these issues and, and, and all those stories that just make it a lot more concrete for us. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you making the time and everybody else. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.